This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture, brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome to The Table. We discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Daryl Bach, Executive Director of Cultural Engagement at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Theological Seminary. And our expert today to discuss technology with us is John Dyer, who is responsible for communications here at the seminary. John, welcome. Glad to be here. Okay. So, so how to introduce this? Well, I thought the way to introduce this is just confess I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> uh, that, uh, that back in the day when I first came to seminary and you typed a thesis, right? You, you, you typed it on a on – a, in fact, we thought we had died and gone to heaven when we got a selectric that had a Greek ball on it that could point the <laughs> Greek text. But you had to, you know, do your piece uh, of writing, and then you had to figure out how much space you needed for the footnote at the bottom of the page. And if it was wrong, you had to redo the page. And you know the era yeah. that I'm talking about. So, <laughs> That's right. So I've come a long way. But I'm sure, I'm sure you know the guys before that, before typewriters, would say, "Cry me a river, Daryl." Exactly right. Exactly right. Remember the quill pen? Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> so, That's right. Yeah. So, um, but I do remember asking you for something the first time, maybe four or five years ago, and sending you an email with a manuscript and saying, can you endorse my book? Yeah. And you emailed, you read the whole book and emailed back an endorsement in like 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't know how much, <laughs> how much dino, a dinosaur there is in there. No, well, I, yeah. I'm a I'm learning dinosaur, okay? <laughs> that's right, that's right. All right, yeah. No, I, I tell people that, that um, technology has probably made me four to five times more productive than I would have been otherwise because it allows me to do things and organize things in ways that I don't wouldn't naturally do otherwise. <laughs> so uh, so that's so that's my confession. Yeah. So what so what's yours? How in the world did you get into the area of technology and an interest in technology? Well, I think I always enjoyed technology growing up. I mean I grew up in the era when you could build your own PC and my dad would come home with a new part and he said, Wait till I get home, don't touch it, but I would always have to touch it and mess with it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I grew up liking that stuff, and yet when I was um, a kid, mm-hmm. that wasn't very popular to like. So I always kind of hid it, you know, mm-hmm. tried to act like I liked sports and sports ball and all that, uh-huh. but then hide my computer stuff in the background. So it wasn't until I took a job as a youth pastor and I didn't make enough money mm-hmm. that I finally had to go out and get a job in mm-hmm. technology, and that's how um, I knew just enough about how to make a website to fake my way into a web job and, and learn on the job. Oh, okay, so, all right. And uh, of course, you've designed uh, originally designed some of the things that that we deal with here on a regular basis, so I thank you for that. so technology, you know, uh, there's a lot of discussion about what it does and doesn't do for us. Is it, is it good, bad, indifferent? Um, uh, I'm, there, there's so little theologically at stake, I think, here in this <laughs> right. question. Maybe, maybe not. Um, so where are you on that scale? Talk, talk about the range of things, about the way we ought to think about technology. Yeah, I think toward the end of my seminary career, so I'd been working at the seminary doing a lot of Christian web stuff and mm-hmm. basically just had the approach 
approach that if I do good things instead of bad things, that's pretty much all I need to think about with technology. And then people started giving me these books that had titles like, is Google making us stupid? And, and um, how television is ruining people's minds and all this stuff. And it made me think like, well, maybe there is something wrong with what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And so it seemed like most Christian writing on technology is either you know um, how to, like how to use it to make your ministry bigger and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff, or how it's morally bad and scary, you know? Ooh, and and so there's not as much thinking about the more subtle changes that happen with technology mm -hmm. when you incorporate something into your own life or mm -hmm. your ministry or your job, how things shift in ways that aren't really easy to define morally. So I got more interested in looking at those things and how um, most of the way technology affects us is more subtle than mm -hmm. just good versus bad. Yeah. And so that's why I would say that, that the idea that technology is simply neutral, you just need to use it for good, isn't really a useful way of talking about technology, just because whether you're using it for good or for bad, it still is going to have some other subtle unintended consequences. Okay, so let's 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 build a ledger. Okay. Okay. Um, what's what uh, what's good about it? What's bad about it? I'll, I'll let you – we'll be positive first. Okay. okay. <laughs> well, here, I'll give you an example of like this good versus bad that I like to use okay. before we're even in um, okay. you know, modern mo microphones and phones and all that kind of stuff. If we think about just like a shovel, this is an example I like to give. Mm -hmm. And you can use it for good things like building a church, and you can use it for bad things like axe murdering people. But um, You've seen too many movies. <laughs> right. Yeah, we, we, we're recording just after Halloween. Yeah, right. Um, but, you know, whether you're using it for good or bad, at the end of the day, you get blisters, right? Right. And then over time, your muscles grow and those kinds of things. So it really doesn't matter your, the morality of your usage. You still are shaped by the tool that you use. Mm -hmm. So if you stay, extend that out to other things, um, you can find lots of unintended things like that. So again, going back to my youth pastor days, um, you know, half the kids had Bibles that they would bring, and we'd hand out the Bibles to the other kids. And so this was just when projectors were becoming popular at churches. Mm -hmm. So I asked for a projector to put in, start showing the Bible at church, and then I found that none of the kids brought their Bibles anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So at first, I'm not, I met a Bible church. Mm -hmm. I think this has got to be a terrible influence of technology. Even right, though I'm right. using it for good, right. it still is having this sort of bad, unintended consequence. Mm -hmm. But then I realized that the kids who did bring their Bibles, you know, they had their own name stamped on them. They chose their own version, and some mm -hmm. of them had cats on them and some of them had you know youth study bible and they were all different and it was mm -hmm. all about their own individual faith uh -huh. when you show scripture up on a screen now everybody's looking at the same passage at the same time mm -hmm. and it's more like it was before the printing press it's all wording's the same yeah the yeah. wording's the same and we're all looking at the same thing at the same time instead right. of it being the individual's bible it's back to being the community's bible yeah so those are both unintended consequences both mm -hmm. of one's good and one's bad and i think looking at that layer to me is sometimes more interesting than just the good versus bad yeah. stuff. Well, I tell people I don't have a smartphone. I have a spiritual phone because I have a Bible in it. Yeah, so right. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's, it's it's that kind of kind of an idea, and it actually um, it, it's interesting how people react because some people say I've got to be looking at a page, mm -hmm. and other people are quite content to be paperless and and, and, yeah. and do it do it that way. But you're right; there are unintended consequences of of what. Uh, technology means. So uh, let, let's talk about another category that people don't think very much about. We were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, and that is what happens with jobs. There's an unintended consequence mm -hmm. with jobs. We we tend to think, well, you know, jobs have simply moved from one location to another, but they've actually moved into a different mode mm -hmm. than another, and 
And that actually complicates the picture a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the original term Luddite that we use to describe someone who doesn't like technology, that Mm -hmm. comes from the era of these looms being built where people used to hand make all the clothing and then these looms would come in and it would go a lot faster and so people were losing their jobs. Mm -hmm. So they would go and they'd burn these these new ones and there was this uh, leader Lud that they all liked and and it's all this, it's very legendary, but that's that's where the term Luddite comes from, from people losing their jobs. Right. So it's not just about being anti-technology, it's about technology taking away jobs. Yeah. And if we look back at the turn of the century, you know, the number one job in America was farmers. Right? Mm-hmm. And um, that's not that way anymore. So yeah. all those jobs went to machines. And right now, one of the biggest jobs in America is is truck driving, mm-hmm. driving of all kinds, so right. Uber, taxis, all that kind of stuff. Um, and those jobs are going to go away in the next 10 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even here in Dallas, I think Uber just met with all of their people to say, in three years, you're not going to be a driver anymore. Mm-hmm. We're going to have machines for this. So there's always this movement of technology coming in and doing jobs. And the theory is that... Hopefully this frees up people to do more creative things and mm-hmm. less manual labor. Mm-hmm. But in that disruption, it can be really, really hard for people. And it, it requires people get the education and training to move into those mm-hmm. spheres, and there's a generation that doesn't get trained that way, so they end up being left out in the process. So the risk is they'll be left out in the process. Yeah, and so in America, there's, there's this whole movement of all the manufacturing jobs being shipped overseas. Mm-hmm. But if they ever do come back, they'll come back for robots. Mm-hmm. And someone needs to be trained to be over that or to do some other job. Maybe that's sales or marketing or something like that. But yeah, you need the new training. So when we talk about jobs in American politics, a lot of that has to be training as an adult, because it seems like in a prior generation, someone might have a job for 40 years or 50 years and then retire. And now people change every five or 10 years. And from my generation and below, that's just sort of the normal thing. Mm-hmm. But, that's, but it's very disruptive and difficult. So um, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, if I can say it, the theology of technology, if yeah. there is one. Uh, what, what, how do you, how do you get people? Well, first of all, the, it, it's like it's like gun control, right? And talking about this biblically, and that, mm-hmm. and I tell people, you know, when you find the word gun in the Bible, let me know. Mm-hmm. And if we're waiting to go to a meal for you to find it, I hope you're ready to fast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, so obviously the way into that conversation, at one level, is thinking through. You know how violence works and that kind of mm-hmm. thing, and then and then working with principles about what you're dealing with. So how do we how do we think about technology biblically? I mean, obviously computers postdate the Bible, mm-hmm. so uh, and technology to some degree postdates the Bible. So how how what's your hermeneutical way in and thinking about this? Yeah, what I'd first start with doing is is saying that most of us, when we even think of the word technology, we're we're going to think about things that were invented after we were born. So mm-hmm. everything before we were born, even airplanes and light bulbs and all this stuff that would have seemed like magic mm-hmm. before, those things don't seem like technology to us because they were around when we were born. Mm-hmm. And that's why my kids don't think of phones as really being that interesting. Yeah. They've always known them. And so they think my laptop is broken because they can't touch it. <laughs> so, so everything before we were born is just stuff. And mm-hmm. then from zero to 30 is the cool stuff you can build your career on. Yeah, yeah. And from after 30 is the destruction of society. And the <laughs> so that's from Doug Adams and yeah, Alan yeah. would say that. So I think I say all that because we need to broaden our understanding of technology to be kind of um, things that people make that are tools that go way, way, way back. So if you if you look at you know somebody invented a table at some point, and if right, you watch right. Mel Gibson's The Passion, it was Jesus. He invented right. the table you know, <laughs> in that scene. But I, but I mentioned Jesus too because our word technology comes from the Greek term tecton, yeah, absolutely, right? yep. which we translate as carpenter. So uh-huh. that originally was someone who was an artisan or a craftsperson, mm-hmm. someone who made useful things. So if we look look go back and back and back all the way back into the garden and, and God saying, 
there in that second story in Genesis 2, he's saying, okay, there's no plants here. What's the deal? And he says, yeah. there's two reasons for that. There's no rain and there's no man to cultivate mm-hmm. or, to, or to make things from it. So I think even in the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, God is saying, here's creation. I want you to make cool stuff from it. Mm-hmm. So I want you to make tools. I want you to make bridges over the rivers and move these things around. I think he's always envisioning us as being people who are going to make things and um, make from what he's made. And then when we look to the to the end of the story, it always is ending in a very physical world full of roads and trumpets and banners and cities. And um, most of our eschatological visions don't say God wants to get rid of things. Yeah. It says he wants to take swords and convert them into plowshares. Mm-hmm. Right? He wants to take things that we meant for destruction and make them into things for human flourishing. So mm-hmm. I don't think humans were made to exist without tools or made to exist without um, what we would probably call technology. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an extension of a mandate that we often talk about when we do faith and work podcasts, which is God has called us to manage the garden, the earth that he's given us well, yeah. and that takes creativity. We're made in the image of God to have that creativity, to engage in in, in that kind of management and in those kinds of re- relationships that they generate, et cetera. And so, uh, in one sense, what I'm hearing you say is is that technology's been with us basically from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And then if we think about specific kinds of technology, um, a lot of what's in Scripture is communication technology. So mm-hmm. there's certainly stories about um, David going over with the Hittites and stealing iron smelting technology, and then mm-hmm. later on you start to see them using iron and beating the Hittites with it, and those those kinds of things. Or Paul with the Roman road and all mm-hmm. that. But um, a lot of what we deal with is communication technology, and even in the garden, Adam is there creating language and words. Mm-hmm. And we talk a lot about our tone and the, and the language we use. Mm-hmm. And depending on the words we use to describe people, that shapes what we see and what we don't see about them, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, we even see that that creation in, in the garden. And um, and even the New Testament authors, you see them occasionally wrestling with when, it, when should they write something using that medium of that day, mm-hmm. and when should they um, go face-to-face. So mm-hmm. Paul and John kind of go back and forth on that. Oh, now that's an interesting segue, because now you're making me think through uh, the whole role of, of social media as an mm-hmm. extension of technology and what it can and can't do for us sometimes, uh, of which probably the most obvious is is that sometimes social media isn't the best medium in which to communicate, particularly in areas of controversy, because mm-hmm. you not only is your, your choice of words, but you don't have the tonal aspects mm-hmm. of speech to help yeah. you understand the framing of what's being said and how it's being said, that kind of thing. And so people use a medium that sometimes can be difficult to communicate shades of nuance and emotion in ways that are appropriate, particularly in sensitive areas, and it ends up backfiring on them in terms of the communication. Yeah, you know, we're in the Bible church movement, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we believe in communication and preach the word, and those are all really good things. But you know, our, our moms always told us growing up that 90% of communication is nonverbal, right? Mm-hmm. It's all your tone, it's your hand gestures, it's what you're wearing, it's all that stuff. So there's so much beyond just the words that actually communicate to people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same when you use any kind of media, whether that's a, a text message or a Facebook or whatever it is, there's some priorities of that device that get communicated alongside of whatever it is that you're saying. So I think being aware of that is important and and you know there, there's this little great passage at the end of second John and third John where he's he's making this differentiation between things he wants to do face to face and things he wants to do with pen and ink mm-hmm. and then you have Paul in the Corinthian letters sometimes saying you know I 
I wanted to come to you, but I thought we would have fought. And uh-huh. so, so I wrote you a letter because I thought that would be more redemptive. Uh-huh. And then once you've dealt with that, then I can come to you face to face. So I think even they're wrestling with um, not that one is good and one is bad, right. but that they do different things and they accomplish different things. Mm-hmm. And um, being aware of that, I think, is going to be helpful for us going forward, too. So, um, so, so, uh, how do you advise people uh, on their on their use of technology? What kinds of things do you think we should be aware of as mm-hmm. we think about uh, their usefulness? Uh, you know, some uh, another story. Self disclosure is something gets released. Um, I'm I'm immediately on it. My wife says, "Let's wait a while and work the bugs out." You know, yeah. uh, um, I have a son-in-law who actually his job is he actually does um, the replay work for uh, for Fox Sports, the number one NFL team. He's he manages the truck that does all the replay work for for at major sporting events, including the NFL. So he's highly, highly trained technologically, mm-hmm. but he's another waiter when it comes to releasing of stuff. Yeah, you know, what you do in your job, sometimes you separate from what you do in your you know, your personal life, because mm-hmm. you just can't keep up that pace all mm-hmm. the time. But I think a lot of people feel pressured, too. Yeah. You know, they feel like they have to comment on everything, and that um, there is a sense that if you don't, say something social media-wise that you don't exist, right? Like, I post, therefore I am. Yeah. And I begin to feel that way. I know now when I log into Facebook, um, it'll often say at the top of it, it'll say, uh, you know, 150 of your friends have posted today. Why, uh-huh. why don't you post today? Right, right, right. I don't have anything cool to yeah, say today. Yeah, yeah. No, so, so no, my it, attitude's very, very different. I, I, you know, I don't post, and therefore I survive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think anything that we do – regularly has the capacity to form us in some way, right? Mm-hmm. So if that's that's exercise or eating or, you know, when we walk into a gym, we choose different tools because we want it to literally shape us in different ways. Mm-hmm. So when we're thinking about how we consume media or use it, we want to think about how that shapes you a little bit. And I even think about Facebook at the beginning, a lot of people will say, um, Facebook makes you narcissistic. I don't I don't think that's a really useful way to talk. Mm-hmm. But when it when you do look at the top of it, it says, what are you thinking about or what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And, and there is this thing that in order to do it, you have to be thinking about yourself. Mm-hmm. You know? So the more you do that, the better you get at thinking about yourself. Mm-hmm. So there is this tendency in that direction that happens. And so I think you have to watch out for what are those what are those tendencies and then think, do, does that align with the values that I want to have? Do I want to become that way? So if you want to get really good at reading long novels, you've got to practice that mm-hmm. instead of reading short things all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you want to get really good at consuming lots of short bits, that's great. Mm-hmm. So you just want to kind of think about how do I want my mind and my soul and my body to be and then think about how you want to consume to shape it in that direction. Now, another thing that often comes up in relationships to technology, this is really a potpourri. There's no rhyme <laughs> or reason to the way I'm doing this. But another thing that comes up is is that the way in which technology gets us to think mm-hmm. is different. And here, here I'll use the analogy of you know when I again when I grew up and you laid out an idea, you did it by an outline. Mm-hmm. So you know, so you, you know A B C D and okay. all that, and you had a structure to it. it operates very differently than a web page. You know, mm-hmm. you go to a web page and you've got that thing, and you got you're full of choices, and mm-hmm. you can do it in any order that you want, et cetera. Um, and so some people have argued that that has that has messed with the way we we think and build and our understanding and appreciation of how arguments are built and that kind of thing. Do you have a take on on that aspect? Yeah, of I definitely think that knowledge rearrangement is a huge part um, in in the sense that we have a very foundational and building approach that we sort of used to use. But I think too about. Um, 
the other day I needed to change a light bulb in my uh, in my car, mm-hmm. and so I immediately went to YouTube, found a video that told me how to do that. And I didn't take a class on engine dynamics or any of that stuff. Or mm-hmm. when I go and I, you know, want to change something under the sink and just fix it, I want to find a guy who shows me the video. And I don't really care about um, taking all these classes on how plumbing is supposed to work. I don't want any of the foundation. In I the beginning, plumbing was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I skip right to it. So there is that overall mentality shift. Um, and then I think if you were to look back in human history, most people would say that the advent of um, the printing press and reading started to shift the way people thought a little bit. Mm-hmm. And you really begin to say, see the real formal development of systematic theology post-printing press. Mm-hmm. So even the way we do Christian theology has shifted in that way. Um, even verse-by-verse preaching that mm-hmm. we love here didn't, yeah. didn't happen before verses were invented. Yeah, yeah. Right? When verses were originally – I love telling this story. When verses and chapters were originally invented, people complained that the Bible had been messed with. Mm-hmm. You know, that it was it yeah. was seen as an innovation that nah. – in fact, I think the joke is is that the guy who invented it was on a was on a trip in like a – what would he call those things? A, not a, a horse and carriage, yeah. yeah. He was in a carriage and someone said it must have been a pretty bumpy road he was yeah. on because they didn't like the way he divided the text. Yeah, it's Robert Sylvanus, and he writes a, a letter to his son saying that I did it along the way from this place to this place. Uh-huh. And so it almost seems like he just bounced along <laughs> and some of those. But yeah, I mean, that, that's something we take take for granted now. We think in terms of verses, and we think in terms of um, you know bumper stickers and all those things. Mm-hmm. But those, you know, Jesus didn't have a life verse. That's right. Tell you, <laughs> um, neither did Paul, or neither, yeah. neither did Augustine. So, yeah, he had a life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, those are different. Yeah. So uh, um, what I want to do on the other on the other side of the break is I want to talk a little bit where where technology may be taking us. Mm-hmm. So let's let's kind of pull this together and say, so what what's kind of your bottom line in thinking about technology? Obviously, it shapes us, it impacts us, it, it does cause us to do things perhaps in a little different way. Mm-hmm. And that does impact us, but it's something that uh, it certainly can make us much more efficient. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that the, if you look at statistically over the last century or so, we can see that worker productivity does go up, and mm-hmm. that's, that's definitely a, a good thing. Um, at the same time, there's a lot of um, you know new kinds of problems that we have to deal with, um, and the, like an easy one to talk about that we all know morally is say pornography. Mm-hmm. That this is something that's um, used to be kind of out there, and it's come closer and closer and closer to home. Mm-hmm. So those are new kind of uh, kinds of things, and yet. Those are issues of the human heart that we always have. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not that technology makes you do something. It's just that it opens up new possibilities. That's right. So what I want to think a lot about is what does the technology afford that maybe um, or, or open up to me that I didn't have before? And usually I want to think about technology in terms of it, of it shifting, to use Andy Crouch's language, shifting the horizons of what's possible. Mm-hmm. So a mega church enables you to do all kinds of neat ministries, but it disables you from knowing the pastor or things mm-hmm. like that. And work through all those so that we're not um, making snap judgments about whether or not this is good or bad, but just recognizing the changes and then seeing which ones we might need to work against. Yeah, I have an analogy that that works with online education that actually mm-hmm. works this way. I did an online class in Australia. It was in Perth, Australia. I did six weeks of online work with the students before I ever walked into the class. And I found myself knowing more about those students mm-hmm. and what they needed when I got to the class than I had ever had in any class I had taught in almost 25 years of teaching mm-hmm. before I did this. And all of a sudden I recognized 
that what happened is is that the dynamics of pedagogy had changed. Mm-hmm. There were certain strengths and weaknesses. There were certain things that I gained, and there were certain things that I lost. But the experience overall just needed to be crafted to the medium that I was in, rather than saying, "Oh, this is all good or all bad." Yeah, and I think too, when something new comes along like that, it lets you examine the old a little bit more closely. That's right. There's a, there was a tendency, I think maybe ten or fifteen years ago, to say classroom good, online bad. Yeah. You know, and I think that looking at the looking at the online and saying there are some neat things about this that maybe help me say not everything I was doing in the classroom was all that helpful and learning from both of those. So I think technology is at its best when it's kind of a mirror. It helps us evaluate things and, and see new things that we didn't see before. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and County, a bounty hunter's journey to faith, hope, and redemption. Written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. All right. So where is technology mm. taking us? Where are we going? We've already suggested one thing that maybe we can dive into a little more here at the start, and that is it's, it's on the one hand, it's taking jobs from us and it's creating mm. new jobs on the other. I think about when I grew up, okay, I'm always doing this, <laughs> but when I grew up, there was no really such thing as IT. Mm-hmm. I mean, the people who worked in computers were were the exception rather than the rule. A whole set of industry and uh, a whole segment of our economy now is tied to what mm-hmm. happens technologically. Yeah. Yeah, I think if you think about one of the ways of thinking about technologies is an extension of some natural function. So it's mm-hmm. real easy to think about that with microphones or telescopes. It's real obvious. Mm-hmm. But most of the technology of the last 20 or 30 years has been kind of extending some kind of mental capacity for yeah. us. And I think that's what makes it different. And the other thing is that it's accelerating much faster than it was before. So right. you get a major thing every few centuries and then every few decades, and now it feels like every few years yeah. that something new is coming along. So I think certainly one of the biggest ones I think will be the artificial intelligence mm-hmm. um, phenomenon. And whereas in the, at the turn of the previous century, um, from the 1800s to the 1900s, electrification was the big deal. So mm-hmm. you can take a water pump and add electricity to it and you had a new product, right? Uh-huh. Well, it seems like now you take artificial intelligence and you add that to a product and you have something new. So the most obvious one of those that we've talked about already is the self-driving cars. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like there'll be a n- number of other things that people will try and, mm-hmm. you know, 9,000 of them will fail and, and one will make it, right? Yeah. Um, but so it'll, they'll, that'll be a big disruption in terms of jobs. Mm-hmm. The, uh, um, the other metaphor that I think of is, is a picture of kind of the way technology works is the cloud. You mm-hmm. know, it's sitting yeah. back there. You don't see it, but it's mm-hmm. certainly operating. The whole, whole way in which, if you ask people, well, how does the net actually work? Mm-hmm. You know, they aren't aware of all the. I don't. I don't know how else to describe this. So I'll <laughs> use very amateurish language, but uh, all the all the networking that's required, mm-hmm. all the linkages between computers and the and the way the routing works and that kind of thing, yeah. it's all invisible to most people. Well, yeah. So there is a tendency of technology over time to become invisible. When it first comes out, it's a it's a toy we uh-huh. play with it, right? And then we figure out how to use it, and it becomes this great tool. But eventually, it just becomes part of the environment. So yeah. most of us don't think about electric lighting, and we 
we don't take fasts from our refrigerators. You know, these are just not <laughs> things that we do. Um, and I think over time, most of them fade on into the background. So, you know, 20 years ago, there were these big worries that people would have these radically disjunctive lives of online and offline. Mm-hmm. But now most of us are always weaving it together. That's we're right. always doing a mixture of those. We're texting someone to meet them in person and then sending them something afterwards. So we're, we move very fluidly through it. And I think even eight, 10 years ago, um, the fact like a smartphone would have seemed like something only the techie nerd guy would have, yeah, and yeah. now everybody has one. Right. So over time, it just becomes normal to mm-hmm. us. And I think that's both um, a good thing, but also can be the very dangerous things, mm-hmm. because it's those things that we that become normal that we don't evaluate that have the most power, I think, to shape our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and again, I'm doing some of the contrastive stuff with the way things were versus the way they mm-hmm. are, because I think this illustrates so much of what we're talking about. But I'll never forget this, and, and, and this picture is the way in which technology has actually linked us together globally in a way that we haven't been linked before, giving us access to tons of material that we didn't have access to before. I'll never forget one day I was writing, and the way our house is set up is, uh, well, I, oftentimes I'm writing in, the, in our living room and TV room, but if I need to look something up, my library is in a completely separate part. In fact, it's completely separated from the house. It was a garage that's been altered mostly into a library and study, and I, and I was writing something. My son happened to be home. He was in college at the time, and he saw me get up, and he knew by the way I was getting up, I was headed out to the library, and he said to me, Dad, what are you doing? I said, oh, I need to look something up. He says, what do you need to look up? And I told him, and so he said, just stay here. He sat down, and he instinctively did this. Mm-hmm. He instinctively knew where to go and what to ask for, and he says, there it is. Mm-hmm. I went amazing, you know. It was it was like I was so used to doing it in one way, and he was instinctively drawn to doing it the way he had always done it because he had always been in a technological world, and 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 the linkage the linkages that have been created for us, and I I expect this is only going to grow. This mm-hmm. isn't going to this isn't going away. This is only going to exponentially yeah. continue. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm walking to my library a lot less these days. <laughs> yeah, and so we all have to decide for ourselves where are the places where we might choose to do something, you know, the old way. Uh-huh. Like, when do you write a handwritten note because that just somehow feels better? Yeah. When do we put on a tuxedo? That's old, but it yeah. feels better. When do we get the horse and carriage downtown because it makes the date more special? Yeah. Um, and when do we say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the meal myself rather than use the microwave or go out? Uh-huh. Do I go for a jog rather than use the car? All of these things that we say, where, where are there places where I might do something that I know a machine can do, uh-huh. but it's helpful to me? And then what are the other times when I, I use machines to speed things up mm-hmm. so that I have the chance to do this other thing? Yeah. And I think finding that balance is, is tricky for everybody. And, uh, and of course, another change that comes with that, we've talked about the way in which jobs and the way job creation has changed and that kind of thing. But another dimension that has come in as a result of technology is the ability to work physically present at the place mm-hmm. that you work versus working out of the home and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm finding a lot more people who are negotiating with their businesses mm-hmm. about where they do their work as yeah. a result of technology. Yeah, I mean, there's this whole concept that to do really good work, you need three or four hours of concentrated time you know, mm-hmm. to get in the flow or something like that. That's really hard to do in today's email world mm-hmm. or to do it where we're in the open office environments that are so popular today. So figuring out how to... Um, work in the modern world, which has email all day, and yet to do good, productive, creative work. Because I think that 
you often you often hear these things that um, creativity takes a good at least eight minutes to start up, uh-huh. but the average worker gets interrupted every two minutes, uh-huh. and so it becomes very hard to do creative work mm-hmm. without having um, some kind of separation. So even as much as technology can free us up, sometimes it re-enslaves us in different ways, mm-hmm. and you just have to constantly be evaluating that and deciding mm-hmm. where we can get change. Uh, now uh, this leads me to kind of uh, this kind of question. I want to come back to the artificial intelligence thing yeah, yeah. and kind of explore. Okay, so where are we going? Um, and uh, I, I guess my uh, initial experience of some form of artific- artificial intelligence is Siri, yeah, yeah. asking Siri a question, and somehow that's getting processed in such a way that there is an answer that you know is on the. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I once asked uh, I once asked Siri uh, the question, "So who is Jesus Christ?" And she answered, she "said You ought to ask an expert that question." <laughs> <laughs> And and people were standing around me and were laughing because so, you know so uh, uh, but I mean obviously there's uh, a lot of amazing in some ways capability that exists towards artificial intelligence um, where's where's that taking it where are we going with that well I think again. Um, once something's already here, we don't call it that anymore. So yeah. most of us have been using artificial intelligence for a long time. So mm-hmm. Kevin Kelly likes to make this point that when, whenever you fly somewhere, mm-hmm. the pilots are only doing the first eight minutes and the last eight minutes, and AI is doing the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And when every time you brake, mm-hmm. your your car and AI or uh, analog brakes is, is handling the brakes better than you can. Mm-hmm. When you use calculators, all of those things have been AI for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I think just like our, our brakes and our airplanes, we'll just see it incrementally added to more things. Like like a, a refrigerator that can self-regulate the temperature, that's uh-huh. AI, um, a wall thermostat that can change things. To, to an extent, that's AI. Mm-hmm. But I think we're getting to um, an environment where the interactions feel a little bit more natural, and mm-hmm. I think that's what people start to think of as AI. So my my phone, um, I, I dropped it and I broke it recently, uh-huh. and now the screen doesn't work at all, so uh-huh. all I can do is use Siri. Uh-huh. And I do think um, we're getting to that place where a lot of what we do with our phones there's just a lot of annoying tapping that you do. So you know when you go travel somewhere, right, right. and at the end of the day, you've done something and you're going, I just want to get back to my hotel. But mm-hmm. you've got to look up all these, you got to look up the email with the registration. <laughs> yeah, behind it, yeah. And you just want to be able to tell a car, mm-hmm. just take me back to the hotel. Yeah. You just want to interact in a way that you would with a person. Right. So I think those things are coming, they'll get better. But then the trade-off, of course, is that some computer gets to read all your email. Mm-hmm. Right? So there is a privacy thing in the background that you're mm-hmm. working on of giving up all of your data to something so that it can do more things yeah, for the you. Cloud. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the yeah. cloud is back. Yeah, so yeah. it'll come back again. Um, but I do think that the the present uh, phones that we have are really good for us to, to look at as screens. Mm-hmm. They're not that good of interacti- interactivity things. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just tapping and you're going through menus right. all the time. If all that could be done via speech, I think that's where our, our the kinds of phones and watches that we have will change. With mm-hmm. AI. So, so they they will become truly interactive devices in mm-hmm. the in the full sense of that term. You know, I do find it amazing, and you know, there's a part of me that wants to ask you all the question: How does this actually? How does some of this actually work? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, when I'm writing, when I'm writing, and there's a grammar correction, for mm-hmm. example, I'm sitting here going. Who has done the programming to make that happen? Yeah. I mean, that that seems to me to be an incredibly intricate exercise. Yeah. That where there's been a lot required in order for it to analyze what it is that I put there on the page that didn't exist, you know, two minutes ago, yeah. and to be able to analyze. Uh, you got? Do you have a subject verb agreement here that yeah. you need? You know. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the early early forms of programming are very structured and logical, and the program can only do one thing. So mm-hmm. you, you have these almost branching logic, is what we might call it, where you know if it's raining, the sprinkler shouldn't come on, and mm-hmm. if it's not raining, it should come on. So, but it can't figure out anything else. So what what's happening now with the AI things is they're trying to create things that are more like what we think people's minds are kind of like, mm-hmm. so that they're able to actually learn things. So instead of now hearing about um, you know, an AI that's beating someone at chess, mm-hmm. where it only knows how to do chess, mm-hmm. you're starting to hear more things like Google sitting an AI in front of a video game that's never seen before and learning how the game works and mm-hmm. then getting good at beating it. Mm-hmm. So creating learning machines is the, is the big thing now where, where you're not actually trying to program on all the rules, but you're actually gonna hand it a bunch of good papers and say, this is what um, this is what good writing is, so that when it sees a bad paper, it know, it knows these problems, right? So it's gonna learn by experience. Ooh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and how far away is that? Do you know? Well, again, it depends on the on the. So, if it comes to grammar, that's that's there. That's right? there. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some great little tools that um, I've seen some fun ones where they will try to read a text, like read Jonathan Edwards, read his whole corpus, mm-hmm. and then try to produce new Jonathan Edwards sounding stuff. And oh, it's wow. hilarious. It sounds <laughs> great. And there's a great Twitter account um, that it's RNN underscore Bible. It's recurrent neural networks, which is what some of these things are called. Uh-huh. And so it tries to produce new Bible verses, uh-huh. and they really sound like. Bible-y things, but they're ridiculous. Uh-huh. So um, I don't, I don't know if I want to be getting the numbers game <laughs> of, of when these things will come. Yeah, yeah. Um, but certainly, some of them, I think, we'll see the cars pretty quickly. My my daughter's ten years away from being able to get a license, uh-huh. and I don't know if she will. Huh. So you mean the you mean the car will drive itself? Yeah. So. I don't know that she'll need a license, and I would think in ten to fifteen years, you know, driving a car by yourself would be one of those risky, interesting things that some people do, you know, um, like making their own coffee or something. But why not just let a machine? Will it do make it? traffic go away? Yeah. <laughs> no, but it will let you read on the way. Hey, that, so that, that, that'll work. Yeah, yeah. So We joked uh, here at the school. Um, I did some chapels on on AI that um, seminary students might be able to finish their degrees in, in a short amount of time. time. You know, because they, they can, can use all so. the commuter time. Yeah, so they can finish it in five or six short years. You know. With that, so. Uh, we shouldn't let that out on the air. <laughs> uh, so, um, so, 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 as someone who's thought about this, et cetera, mm-hmm. what are the, some of the things you think about in relationship to technology that 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 are coming, or 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 things that you that you kind of wonder and wrestle about? Yeah, again, just to just to we'll camp on the AI one because we mm-hmm. can talk about designer babies and other fun things coming down. But yeah. on that one, I, mean, I think there's a set of, of ethical issues that are being dealt with right now, figuring mm-hmm. out, um, you know, should should the car crash into one person or five people? And yeah. those really hard kind of trolley-like questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are out there. And, you know, MIT, for example, has websites where they're, they're kind of crowdsourcing people's opinions about mm-hmm. the ethics of various scenarios with cars. Oh, wow. So whether or not they should go in and, and um, whether or not, if it's about to hit a person, should it crash into a wall and kill the driver or should it hit the person? Oh, Really wow. nasty yeah, questions yeah. like that. And seeing how people react to those things. So there's some amount of um, just seeing where we are morally as a species. Is is Are these cars going to be designed in such a way that they can't be overridden in one way or another? Cause so, so some are. You'll, you'll see pictures of, say, for example, Google's car where they're mm-hmm. they're at um, a Lexus uh, SUV, and those mm-hmm. still have a steering wheel that you can take over. Mm-hmm. But they have another one that looks almost like a little VW Bug kind of mm-hmm. button, and it has no steering. 
So you just get in and go. Exactly. And their idea is that by removing the steering wheel, they remove the most dangerous thing in the car. Huh. Right. Because right now, you know, something like I don't remember the exact stats, but I think there's somewhere around 100,000 people die a year from car wrecks, and that's hmm. down. So yeah. In the last yeah. 30 years with airbags and all. And yeah. Sure. Brakes, um, they're down. I love my cameras when I'm changing lanes. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So yeah. The, the hope is that that would continue to drop because yeah. we wouldn't have drivers who are you know, distracted by the child in the back or uh-huh. the phone or any of those things that the computer would never get tired and would never would never get threatened by the big truck next to them or any of those hmm. things. Hmm. So hopefully it will be a safer world, I think. Well, that's interesting because I know the phone calls that I make where a computer answers and it all it does is frustrates me. I want to <laughs> talk to a person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the funny thing, that, that is is um it only has discrete choices right? yeah right right exactly yeah can't actually interact yeah so i think those are going to go away pretty uh-huh. soon and and the question there was this uh alan turing you know that mm-hmm. the turing test is can you make a machine where if you interact with it you can't tell if it's a person or not and we're getting pretty close in some ways i mean you can only ask siri one or two questions before she fails yeah yeah but um but you can do a lot more with some of the, the newer devices and so if you've seen you know movies like her that kind uh-huh. of look forward yep. or you watch television shows like like black mirror they start to look forward in the future and go, man, those will be weird because if you think about a, a Roomba who might go around and clean up your room, uh-huh. at the end of the day, you know, it wants to go back to its power station. Uh-huh. Um, and you could just block it and just laugh at it, right? Uh-huh. But if that thing is pleading with you saying, I'm going to die, please <laughs> let it go, and the voice feels real, it, it will feel different. Uh-huh. And, um, you may have seen some of the videos from the robotics manufacturer at Boston Dynamics where people are, you know, pushing a robot and knocking them down uh-huh. to train them how to get their balance back. Uh-huh. And it's funny. When I watch those, I find myself feeling something. Uh It feels bad to kick the dog robot um, in a way that that is different than when someone crashes a car and you think – you don't really think about the car as a thing or as a a you. You think of it as an it. Um, But with some of these more humanoid-looking robots, you begin to think of it as – as a person, yeah, and I think that that will be strange to think about people interacting with um, devices that feel like people. Yeah, and I, uh, I, is, was it her? Is that the movie mm-hmm. that yeah. where the person falls in love with the with the with the contraption? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I don't yeah. know how to describe it. They call it, it an operating system. Yeah, there. Yeah. He's got a little phone he puts in his pocket with an earbud. Yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 fascinating to watch because it's a fun joke to make, but when you yeah. see it unfold over the course of a film, yeah, it starts to seem somewhat believable. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and we and at the and the actuality is we may not be all that far away from stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So then, what we talked about at the beginning of God creating us in His image and yeah. him being creative, and we have us having this creative power to make things. What do we do when we create things in our image? You know, mm-hmm. is there any ethics that we need to consider with something that can feel pain, mm-hmm. putting it in painful scenarios? Is that a a good or a bad thing? So we have that whole area of ethics. And then I think we have a whole other set of questions to ask about um, how how we would interact with devices and when we would give, say, a robot caretaker to kids Mm -hmm. or to the elderly. So Mm -hmm. the easiest thing to do would be to say, you know, when someone's in a home, just give them a robot. Um, I probably won't face this issue, but my kids will have to face whether or not that's a... um, uh, I think if that treats humans with respect or not. Interesting. Yeah, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here amazed, and the thought that hits me is is that I think of the movie 2001, mm-hmm. which was kind of one of – I think it was probably one of the original movies that raised the question of, can we create something that would end up turning on us? Mm-hmm. 
and uh, um, and, and, and in which this computer obviously had all the uh, or many of the dimensions of a personality in such a way that was making judgments and judgments that would and, and with enough capability and enough power to actually reverse you know it's des- reverse and turn on its designer yeah so sometimes that's called the singularity when the machine gets um, as much intelligence as all humans and then is able to make itself better and, and do things that no human engineer could do so there's a lot of thoughts about that is is that the next step in our evolutionary history and, and plan so I think that's where we start getting into some really deep theological questions about um, the nature of what it means to be human and where are we going in the future so there's a whole movement called transhumanism that would say that we need to use technology to augment ourselves and that um, it really sounds very their language is very religious so mm-hmm. there's a savior in its technology there's a there's a date it's the singularity you know there's a, a sense of resurrection and that we get we get put on our minds get put onto computers and we become eternal and all those things so I think we as Christians need to be able to articulate you know what does it mean to have a soul mm-hmm. and is there any way to talk about that um, outside of just scripture I mean scripture tells us we have an immaterial self but can we talk about that in, in the public square in a way that's useful interesting Interesting. Um, uh, we're running out of time, but I, I'm, I've got a whole list of questions still. So, so where where the, where is the ethics of this being discussed? Mm. I I think it's being discussed more by people like Elon Musk and, uh-huh. and the Google Google Foundation and all those things. They're actively talking about, um, say, artificial intelligence or. Are shit. these people who are working in this area who are who yeah. are who are thinking about it? Is exactly. that basically where it's coming yeah, from? But it's mostly coming out in the technology sector and less, you know, from the church. I think so. Science fiction's been talking about this for a long time. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're catching up. So so there there's no. Uh, a theological uh, techno ethicist out there. I mean, there's there's a few, but I think the perspective of the technology industry is usually just that religion is going to hold us back. Yeah. Why would we do that? And so, technology itself becomes the religion, mm-hmm. where this is the thing that's taking us forward. So, why would we want to talk to people that? It's and almost parallel to some of the stuff that's going on in medical ethics, where mm-hmm. the medical yeah. technology and the things that are moving ahead, we, we have the capability to do this. We should just move ahead, and we shouldn't worry about the mm-hmm. kinds of questions that it raises. And yeah. then there are other people who are concerned about what's what. Might come. I mean, how's yeah. that? How's yeah. that kind of following? It does seem out? like these two fields are coming together very rapidly. Where technology used to just be about like how you used it at home, mm-hmm. but as that overlaps with say genetics and all those things. And my my educational background is in genetics, so the, mm. the, the problems that we were talking about in college, you know, 15 years ago, are now right in front of us. Right now, I think you mentioned something about uh, designer babies mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So maybe that's where we ought to end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, right now the questions are, for example, when your baby's born, do you want to sequence his or her full DNA, right, so right. you can hopefully find out problems. The, the issue is that that becomes now public record, mm-hmm. and can an insurance agency, you know, just uh, make your rates go up because you have this one particular gene? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people turn it down, even when it's free, just because they're worried about it. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of ethics with regard to insurance that are coming along, and then um, of course the abortion question of if you find out something, should you abort early? Right, that, that's right. humongous right now. Um, you know, you hear really terrible stats about you know kids with Down syndrome being aborted at really high rates. But the, the real question comes when, when you can actually generate something, so when you can manipulate before the baby's So I, I, I want a girl, <laughs> and I want her to be, you know, six foot one and a basketball star. Yeah. You can, you can mani- get to the point where you could manipulate the genetics? To yeah, get- I mean, the, the gender is pretty easy right now. Yeah, yeah. With in vitro, you could pick the one that you want, uh-huh. but it would take sequencing all those to know where, where those would be. But I, I don't think that's that far away um, because as you're able to look at 
what's there with each embryo that you might implant, you're able to at least make some kinds of choices. So it's coming. Oh, wow. Well, um, on that disturbing note. <laughs> Children are our future. Yeah. Though. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I'll, I guess I'll be glad I'm, I'm headed to heaven by, by the time all that happens. We'll leave that to someone else. Leave that to your children and your children's yeah. children. Well, John, I thank you for coming in and, and talking with us about this. It's a fascinating field. Obviously, most of us are very um, connected to technology these days and in some ways more and more and to think about how it can impact us. but also to wrestle with the question of, uh, of what might be coming mm-hmm. um, is, is an important thing. And, and, I, and I, do th- I do find it fascinating, and I end with this little story, I do find it fascinating that um, the situation has now come where sometimes your eight or nine-year-old knows more about what's going on than you do, and that can be a very, very humbling feeling as as the younger generation instinctively gets involved with technology, and we try and catch up. Yeah. So, we thank you for being a part of the table. We hope you enjoyed our discussion, and we hope you'll be back again with us soon. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys. You know, a pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know?